0: Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. So as I was preparing for this sermon, I was uh, really struggling with what I was going to preach about, and then it was Thanksgiving, and so I decided to preach about thanks. Um, And so I I didn't want to call it, Thanks. So my sermon title today is Attitude of Gratitude. There's probably not a graphic or anything, but Keith, that's for you for the podcast later, Attitude of Gratitude. Um, so we we come to Thanksgiving once a year, and it kind of feels like, okay, we're going to talk about thanks again, like, great. Um, but But the more that I've been reading about thanks, the more that I've been, you know, The more years that I live and and walk in my relationship with God, the more I realize that I need more reminders to give thanks. Right now, uh, we're raising two little girls. They had their birthday party yesterday, and uh, giving the second piece of cake was a bad call because temper tantrums ensued late into the night. Um, But raising two little girls has brought the idea of gratitude to my mind more regularly than in a long, long time. I try to be really aware. You know, if someone gives them something, when they were getting their presents yesterday, you know, Annie, my four-year-old, I had to go up to her before she opened the presents, and I said, Annie, before you say anything about the presents, say hi to the people, right? Because it's so easy to focus on the presents and to completely forget about the people who are giving the presents, right? And when you're a little kid, you don't really care about the people. You just care about the presents. Uh, And I also had to remind her, when you get a present, make when you get a present, make sure you say thank you. And these are things that, as you grow up older, hopefully your parents also taught you the same thing. But I've noticed an attribute about myself, and I think it's probably an attribute about most humans, is that I think there's a moment in our lives where we like we finally like master something, right? So like, so for for me in my life, I grew up. Uh, if you guys have ever talked to my mom, you probably know that she's French. Uh, if you don't, then you're probably French. And, uh, and so I grew up in a French, uh, well, a half French household. My dad does not speak French, so don't try that on him. Um, and so I grew up going to French immersion school. And, in French, and, and we, we spoke French a little bit at home, not, not very much. Um, and so I, I, I was learning French at school. I spoke French with my mom. And those early years when you're at home, you're, you're pretty much with your mom all the time. And your dad's there sometimes. But, so we were speaking a lot of French. And I think that probably by grade four, my French was the best that it ever was in my entire life. By the time I got to grade four, my accent was great. I knew, like, most of the words. Some of the spelling and stuff was, like, there And from that point, it's like I felt like I had it. Like, I've got this thing. I've got French. And so, like, I kind of peaked, you know? I was like, this is good. And I didn't realize I peaked. And when you peak, you don't usually realize when you've peaked. But I realized a number of years later, uh, I used to work in the Superstore Deli. I worked there for three years. And uh, one of the most uh, crucial aspects of my job in the Superstore Deli was spitting those rotisserie chickens that save all of us from having to make dinner every single night. And so I would be spitting, it was required we'd have to spit two boxes of chicken a day, or a shift, a four-hour shift. So if it was an eight-hour shift, you had to do four boxes of chicken. Wow, I'm getting triggered right now. Um, <laughs> completely forgot about that. Anyways, so as I'm, uh, <laughs> as I'm spitting those chickens, um, I... I was like, I should practice French, and at this point, I'm in grade 10, and I wasn't in French immersion anymore, and so I'm just, like, talking to myself in French, and I'm, like, spitting chickens, so, of course, I'm going to talk about chickens, and I go to say the word chicken in French to myself, and I couldn't remember what the word chicken was. Now, if you grow up in a French household, probably, like, one of the first 10 words that you learn is chicken, and so I'm there, and I'm having, like, a I don't know, quarter life or like an eighth life crisis because I don't know how to say chicken anymore. And I realized that my French had peaked in grade four and I was on a steady decline all the way down to now I can like, I don't even know. I, I know chicken again, that's good because uh, eggnog comes out once a year and you can kind of see chicken on there. Um, but I think we don't intentionally unlearn things in our lives, right? We, we get to this place where we learn something and then we kind of stop caring about it a little bit. And so it's not that we don't, we don't care, but it's not that we don't want to stay good at it. But if we don't keep it as a regular habit, it quickly begins to fade in our lives. And I was thinking about, our, about my relationship with God, and I was thinking about how I have walked through my life with God, and he's walked through my life with me. And I realized that something really similar can happen in my relationship with him. Now, Our relationship with God is not a skill like French or like a sport or like riding a bike, but it is something that needs to be worked on. It is something that needs to be uh, continually honed. It needs to be continually pursued. It needs to be intentional. And so I was thinking about my relationship with God, and I was thinking about how easy it is to start believing that God owes me something, to start believing that me and God are, you know, we're walking hand in hand, and he's, you know, I've seen his blessing in my life. I've seen him take care of me. And so now it kind of feels like, oh, he owes me something. Or maybe not even that he owes me something, but like, why should I give thanks for everything around me? Maybe, you know, maybe that that job promotion or maybe that new vehicle, that was because of my hard work, not because God provided for me. And so as we read Psalm 95, uh, this is a psalm written by King David where as, as we were reading through it, you probably saw two very distinct parts. You know, when someone's telling you a story, and it's like a really, like, happy story, and then at the end of the story, they're like, and that was the day my dog died. And you're like, what on earth? Like, you were telling me a happy story, and then you just, like, brought things all the way to a dark place. I have no idea how to react to this story. Am I supposed to laugh? Am I supposed to cry? I'm not really sure. And so as we're reading this psalm, it's kind of the same thing. Like, he's talking about how good God is and how God's taking care of us. And then, really quickly, he changes... He kind of changes his tone. He says, "Be careful, be careful! Don't harden your hearts like Israel did, or God will be angry with you for forty years and make you die in the desert." It's like, oh, that's that's really hopeful. See, so the first half of the psalm declares uh, David is declaring God's goodness. He worships God for who He is and gives thanks and praise. And we're going to look at that a little bit later. But I want to actually start with the second half today and kind of dive into that a little bit. So Psalm 7, the second half says, if only you would listen, sorry, Psalm 95, verse 7, if only you would listen to his voice today. The Lord says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as they did at Massah in the wilderness. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw everything I did. For 40 years, I was angry with them. And I said, they are a people whose hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. So when I first read this, I was like, perfect, a great Thanksgiving, a great Thanksgiving psalm. And then as I got to this part, I'm like, oh, I should probably find a different psalm that doesn't have this part in it, because that'll be way easier to preach about. We can just talk about Thanksgiving and go on our separate ways. But I really believe that God has something to teach us through this second half and it'll tie back to the first half later on. So uh, David writes in this psalm about the story of the Israelites grumbling and complaining, and he's he's actually referencing Exodus 17, Uh, and so let's just read that this morning. So up to this point, the Israelites had left Egypt. They had been released from Egypt. They had come through the Red Sea. They didn't have any bread, and so God gave them manna from heaven, and so like All these things kept on happening, God kept on providing, and and now they wanted some water with their manna. And so Exodus 17, 1-6 says, At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Eventually they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. That was me last night at 2 a.m., Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children and our livestock, with thirst? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Walk out in front of the people. Take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai strike the rock and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told and water gushed out as the elders looked on. So like I said, the Israelites had left Egypt. They had seen God, you know, do all the miracles in Egypt to get them out of Egypt. He had sent manna from heaven. They had crossed the Red Sea. They had defeated, God had defeated the Egyptians for them. He had shown all sorts of wonders and miracles and yet, They get to this place, and they're still grumbling and complaining. They're still asking, why did you take us out of Egypt? And the thing that's so crazy is, like, they wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to slavery in Egypt rather than have freedom with God. That's a crazy thing to want. The Israelites were so focused on their circumstances, on their immediate circumstances, that they couldn't see their destiny in front of them. They hadn't grown in their ability to trust God. They hadn't grown in their faith of God. They thought they were good at this skill. They thought they they had kind of gotten really good at this skill of thanking God, of trusting God, of walking out in faith in God. But that was only when things were good, when things were going right. When things were not going right, they completely forgot about their trust in God. I know for myself that when I read Scripture, I always want to, like, associate myself with, like, Moses or Jesus or, like, God. I mean, not God, I guess, because that feels wrong somehow, but Jesus doesn't. I don't know. Um, I want to associate myself with the hero in the story, not the Israelites. But unfortunately, when we read the Bible, the Israelites is actually who represent us in Scripture. They are a complete representation of who we are. And I hate from the outside that I look at the Israelites and I'm like, those guys are a bunch of, like, complaining, whining, like, why couldn't they, like, God had released them from all these things. God had taken them from one thing to another. Man, like, these guys are dumb. I would never make that mistake. But I hate to admit it, I do make that mistake all the time. And I'm sure that all of us make that mistake from time to time as well. When we're in seasons where everything's going well, or at least most major things are going well, it's really easy to trust God. But when we reach a place where things aren't going right, when the very important things in life start to be a struggle, like the Israelites weren't asking for like, you know, a whole fleet of donkeys so they didn't have to walk anymore. Like they were asking for something that was actually necessary. They were asking for water. This is a very important thing. And so sometimes for us, it's like, okay, God, I'm not asking for like an escalade. I'm just asking for, you can fill in the blank. When we ask God for that and we don't get the answer that we want, how do we react? Do we trust that God will take care of us? Do we have faith that we've seen what he's done in the past and so he's going to take us into the future? Or do we do what the Israelites did? Do we try and wrestle the control out of God's hands and into ours? Do we start grumbling and complaining? Do we start thinking that, you know, if I just do X, Y, and Z, I can make this work for myself? Having faith in God to work on our behalf isn't easy. It's, it's a challenge. But I know that his word says that he will and is working on our behalf. I've seen him do it time and time again. But when I'm in the middle of the fight, when I'm in the middle of the struggle, when I'm in the middle of, like, not getting what I want, man, that's, that's when it's hard to start believing that God is good and continue believing that God has my life in his hands. We have a hard task learning to trust in God. It's just like that skill, like, you feel like you've mastered And then when it comes time to use it again, you realize that maybe you don't have that skill anymore. Maybe you haven't been sharpening it as much as you should have been. So now we can hear something like this and we can think, okay, so God doesn't want us to complain. God doesn't want to hear our needs. Well, no, that's not what scripture says. He wants to hear our needs. He wants us to bring our complaints. You can read through the Psalms and it's like there's like half of the Psalms are just complaints. But the difference is that the the difference is how the Israelites were asking for this thing. Were they trusting God to bring them into what he said he was going to? Were they trusting that God would provide what they needed? Were they trusting that God was going to take care of them? Or did they, they think that Moses had led them astray? Were they longing for what was in the past? Were they longing for something that was within their own strength? Faithless complaining is an accusation against God, saying that he isn't who he said he is, that we would have been better without him. The Bible, oftentimes in the Bible we see this, it's called grumbling. And it's when we're dissatisfied with how something turns out, but instead of submitting ourselves to God and trusting he will take care of us, we take things into our own hands and accuse God of wrongdoing. So the danger of this, the danger of complaining, the danger of believing that God is not good and that God isn't going to take care of us is it will actually lead us to having a hard heart. That psalm says, for those who hear God today, make sure you don't have a hard heart. And having a hard heart happens quickly and it happens subtly. Uh, A theologian said, when a person has an erring heart and a disbelieving heart, The result will also be a hard heart. This is a heart that is insensitive to the word and the work of God. So hard was the heart of Israel that the people wanted to return to Egypt. So God, yes, he wants us to bring our needs to him. He wants us to to bring all of our, our hopes and our dreams and our desires to him. He wants us to do that, but it's not supposed to be, if you don't give me this, I won't listen to you. If you don't give me this, I won't follow you. If you don't give me this, you're not good. In, in fact, it's supposed to be the opposite. It's supposed to be, God, this is my dreams. These are my hopes. This is my desire. I lay this at your feet. Do with it what you will. I'm laying this down because my life isn't the most important thing. You're the most important thing. And this is where the first half of this psalm can actually teach us how to have a soft heart, how to, how to, how to come back to a place where. Our hearts are soft, so we don't make the same mistakes the Israelites did. Living lives of thanksgiving to God will help keep our hearts soft. It wasn't an accident that David wrote this psalm and started out with all of this encouragement and praise to God, that he was encouraging the congregation. He understood very well how easy it was to fall back into those old patterns of trying to make things happen for himself. And so he encourages us, let's give this to God. So let's read the first half of that psalm again. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us, come with him to, let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it to. His hands formed the dry land too. See, he starts this psalm off with praise. And praise will correct when we think too little of God. So the first thing today is that praise will correct when we think too little of God. The model here shows that we start with praise. We start with declaring who God is and his goodness and how great he is. And throughout the Bible, we see this isn't just like this one psalm. Throughout the Bible, we see many 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 times that we enter god's th- gates with thanksgiving and praise that we shout with joy that we use you know the bible talks about symbols so if you think the drums are too loud sorry it's biblical um symbols and and harps and lyres and, and all of these things that he wants us to praise him with loud shouts And so every Sunday when we come here and we start and the first two songs are are typically fast songs or praise songs or declarative songs saying who God is and and what he's done, we start our services because that's the biblical model. We start our services not just because that's the biblical model but because it's the biblical model and God knows that it's actually the most beneficial thing for us. That we come here and we say, you know, we can come here we can start thinking that everything's about us but when we praise God, we start to realize it's not about us, it's about him. Praise is a tool that forces us to look beyond our circumstances and to turn our eyes to Jesus. We shout joyfully to the rock of salvation, knowing that he's working on our behalf. And I think David, when he wrote the psalm, I don't think it was an accident that he said the rock of our salvation. The story of the Israelites uh, looking for water, it was Moses struck the rock and water came out of the rock. There was salvation in the rock, and there's salvation in God. When we go to him, we we shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. And I love how David continues reminding himself of who God is in this psalm. He says, for the Lord is a great God. He knows that God's great. He didn't have to write this, but he's reminding himself, for the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in in his hands the depths of the earth, and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it too. His hands formed the dry land too. See, David here is practicing gratitude. and He's encouraging the congregation to practice gratitude. If our God can hold the depths of the sea and the greatest mountain in his hands, how much more can he care for our needs today? So we come with thanksgiving. We come with praise. Because we know that God is bigger than than our failing, and he he thinks about us, and he takes care of us. So when life is going good, I find for myself when things are going good, the praise part of worship is kind of the easy part. You're like all hype on life, and you're like, yeah, like this is this is a great song and easy to sing. Oh, you're so good, God. Like you know, really easy to sing those songs. But I've noticed for myself that. When things aren't going good in life, those praise songs are like painful for me. They're like, it feels like I just sometimes stand there and I just don't want to sing because I'm like, I'm not happy right now. Why would I be singing a happy song? I'm not thankful right now. Why would I be singing a thankful song? Yeah, I believe God's good. Like, sure, but like, that doesn't mean I have to feel good right now, right? But I think sometimes the hardest thing to do when we're in the dumps of life is to lift our voice and thank God. Because honestly, it doesn't feel like we have much to thank him for sometimes in those, in those times. But, but God wants us to thank him because it actually takes us out of thinking about ourselves and thinking about our circumstances. And it refocuses us so that we're focused on the one who matters. And that's hard when everyone around you is jumping and singing and smiling or whatever, and you're like going through something. And you're like, I don't want to sing about this right now. But that's when it's the most important. That is the practicing. That's the refining. That's the, that's the taking the skill that you are about to lose and making it better. That's the, the relationship-building thing that God desires from us. He desires that we push out of the place of self-reliance We want to rely on ourselves. We want to be miserable. We want people to see that we're miserable. We want to try to make things work for ourselves. But he wants us to lay those things down at his feet. We praise him because he has worked in the past and we know he is working on our behalf now. See, our trust in God, faith in God is really shown not in the times that are easy. Faith in God is shown in the times that are not easy. Faith in God is shown when When you're going through it, when you have health problems, when you have work problems, when you have family problems, it's during those times, if we're praising God and we're thanking God and laying those things down at His feet and trusting and believing that He'll take us through that, that's when our faith grows. That's when our trust in Him grows because we're saying, it's not about me. It's about you, God. So the psalm continues, and we've talked a little bit about praise, and now David talks, he goes into worship. He talks about worship. So Psalm 95 verses 6 and 7 says, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. See David wanted to remind the congregation that we need to stand in reverence of who God is. That God is worthy to be praised. So we kneel and we bow down. And we make ourselves low, reminding ourselves that it's not about us. We crucify our flesh. So, when things in our life are going bad, it's hard to praise. But I actually find it's a lot easier to worship because, like, I already feel like the mud of the ground, and so, like, getting low on the ground that feels kind of natural. I'm like, I'm already down there, God. Like, I can, you know, the the chords are more minor in the songs that we sing that are worship. That doesn't mean a worship song is a specific thing, but. You know, I'm just like, oh, this feels this feels better. And I can kind of, like, ignore the words and just, like, rest in the, like, heaviness of the songs. But when everything's going good in our lives, sometimes that's when it's actually hardest to worship. Because we think, oh, man, like, I, I'm killing it right now. Like, I just got a raise, and I just got, like, that Escalade that I've been praying for. And I just got, you know, a cabin on the lake. And I just, or I was just, like, you know... We feel like we're killing it. And so the worship part is sometimes a little bit harder because, not because we're not able to worship, but because sometimes in those worship moments, we're not actually even thinking about God. It's like the girl's birthday party yesterday, that, that we can so easily think more about the gifts than about the giver. We can think so much about all the things that God has given us and all the things that, that have happened that are good in our lives, but not remember who it is that has given them to us. So when we come to a place of worship, we bow down and we get low because we're saying, it's not me. It's not me who did this. And if this is all stripped away tomorrow, that's okay because it's not mine. It's yours, God. We bow down. And that's the whole point of worship. The whole point of worship is to remember who God is and who we are in relation to him. So David shows us that that praise is important and worship is important and that these things can help correct our hearts and and can help our hearts be softened. But the amazing thing about God is like the more that I read scripture, the more that I see that God doesn't have to like, like God is, is bigger than all of us. Like he is Lord of the whole universe and he doesn't have to do anything for us. But the more I read Scripture, the more I see when we do these principles, when we live out these principles, God has a blessing in it for us. We don't do it for the blessing. We don't do it for the gift. We do it because we love God. But because God is so good, then he gives us a blessing on top of that. And so while we give thanks to God, while we live lives of gratitude and of worship, his response to us is that he gives us rest. See, he's so gracious and kind that not only does he draw near to us, not only does he soften our hearts when we praise him, but he gives us rest. Now, what does rest mean? Does that mean that all of our problems are going to go away tomorrow? No. Hebrews three sixteen talks about this exact story in the Old Testament, but this is New Testament now. And so Hebrews talks about these Israelites, and let's just read that. And who was it? who rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice. Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, because of their hard hearts, they were not able to enter his rest. God's promise of rest, of entering his rest still stands. I'll say that again. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this is good news, that God has prepared this rest, has been announcing to us, just as it was with them. But it did them no good, because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. And for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. So this is like like this is like a, an encouragement to us. It, it seems kind of heavy, but it is an encouragement to us that God has prepared his rest for us. He's prepared a place of rest. And, and there's actually two types of rest that God has prepared for us. The rest that we're going to enter into, which is heaven, if we believe in Jesus and declare him as our Lord and Savior, that is one rest. But he also gives us rest today. He gives us rest on earth today. And like I said, this rest doesn't mean that all of our problems just go away. In fact, the rest that he's talking about in Hebrews here, the equivalent of that in the Old Testament was the the Israelites going into the land of Canaan taking the promised land that was the rest that god had promised them but if you read the bible when they enter the land of rest they have like a million enemies around them that they still have to defeat they have all of these giants that they got to defeat they have like the earth itself is like fighting against them there's all these you know the bible even says that god said he's not going to like wipe out even the wild animals and the the like lions and stuff because because the Israelites needed to walk out into that. They needed to walk out into the rest. And so when we enter this rest, when we're following Jesus one step at a time, that doesn't mean that everything becomes easy. That doesn't mean that we don't necessarily have battles to fight, that we have all these things. But, but God is there with us the whole way through. And the rest that he actually provides for us is that we don't have to try and figure it out anymore. Like, we don't have to try and do all these things on our own. He's just saying, hey, walk out in, in your relationship with me. Get on the same page as me, and let's start walking in the same direction together. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of your needs. I'll take care of your desires. And, and it might look a little bit different than you thought it would, but I'm taking care of you. And the best example I could think of for this is, like, I don't know if, if you're married here, And you've been married for not a super long time. You probably remember what it was like before you were married, right? So before you're married, I remember me and Haley have been married for six years and dated for, I think, two years or something. So it's been like eight years. So I'm not that close to that part of my life. But I remember when I was in my 20s and I'm just like, you're just like looking around trying to figure out who your spouse is going to be. You're like, okay, she's attractive, but she's got terrible character. I'm out okay, she's got great character, but I'm not super attracted. I'm out. Okay, she's got it all, but I'm way under her league, so I, I'm out. i out. I wish I was in, but I'm out. You know, you have all these things, and, and your friends try and set you up, and you're like just looking around, and and um, and so you're, you're trying to figure out, like, who is this person going to be that I'm going to live the rest of my life with? And it's like, you don't realize this pressure that you're putting on yourself, but there's like huge pressure that you're putting on yourself. There's all kinds of apps out there nowadays because people are looking for this exact thing. They're looking for someone to do life with. And that's actually so similar to what it's like before we have our relationship with Christ. We're looking around. We're looking for purpose. We're looking for, man, like how do I I take the next step? And, And then when we come into a relationship with God, it's like there's just this weight that's lifted. It's just like, oh. Like when I got married to Haley, I'm like, I have so much time. Like I don't have to look for anyone, I don't have to think about this. Like I have to definitely work on my relationship with her, but I don't have to like I, I don't like I don't have to look at anyone else ever again. I don't have to think about those things anymore. And when we come into relationship with God, we enter that same kind of rest. We don't have to start looking, "Oh, what is the next great thing that's going to, you know, give me relief from whatever? What is, you know, we, we don't have to go on these spiritual journeys and try and check out every religion we have a rest because God has given us direction and he gives us purpose and a plan for our lives. And like I said, that doesn't mean that it's just like we're just done. We still have to work on that relationship. We still have to learn what God actually wants for us. Just like I still need to learn with Haley what, what she wants in our relationship. I have to do the same with God. But man, there's, there's a different kind of weight. It's, it's a huge relief when it's like we know we're on the same page, when I know I'm on the same page with God and I know that he's guiding and leading me, I don't have to carry that weight anymore. He's carrying that for me. Why don't we get the worship team up here? Being in God's rest doesn't mean we don't have battles to fight, that it's gonna be smooth sailing, but it does mean that as we rely on Christ and we abide in him, that we already have a victory. We know that he'll make all things work together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So today, I would encourage you to get to a place of worship and praise in your life. It's not, I'm not just talking about Sunday mornings. I'm talking about in your home life. I'm talking about when you're driving, when you're at work, when you're with your family. We need to be people who worship and praise because we need to refine our relationship with God. We need to learn who God is, and we need to remind ourselves, hey, self, you're wrong about that thing. Hey, flesh, you're wrong about that thing. It's God who matters. It's what God wants for me that matters. And sometimes we can hear something like this and think, okay, like, I'm going to go worship and praise, and all of my circumstances are going to turn around. They're not going to. It's not going to suddenly fix all your external problems, But what it does do is it reorders your perspective and it will bring rest to your internal chaos. When we're not the most important character in our story, when we're the second person, when we're, you know, when we're just desperate for someone else to lead us and we know that God is leading us, man, when the story's not about us, there's such a relief there. There's such a blessing in the rest that comes with that. So today you might be here, you might be, You might be in the middle of the wilderness, like the Israelites. You might be like, where am I going, God? What am I doing, God? Maybe you're here and you feel like you're already in the Promised Land and you feel like everything's going good. Maybe you're not thinking so much about what God wants. Maybe you're here today and you feel sort of comfortable, but it's kind of like the comfort that the Israelites had when when they were in bondage in Egypt. Maybe you're here and you're going through something with your family or with your health or with your job or, or with your friends or who knows what it is. I just want to encourage you that our response is, a, is supposed to be a response of thanksgiving to God. That we say, God, you are good despite those things. God, you are holy despite those things. God, you are worthy despite those things. God, I am not in first place in my life. You're in first place in my life. Some of us have an issue with praise and some of us have an issue with worship. But this psalm and scripture shows us that both are crucial to getting the balance right in our lives. So I just want to read the first half of this psalm one more time. Why don't we stand and actually let's let's read this together if we can get this on the screen behind me. Psalm 95, verse 1. I don't know how we're going to do this. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it too. His hands formed the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. We are the people. He watches over the flock under his care. Thank you, God. Thank you that you are good, God. Thank you that you are mighty. Thank you, God, that you're taking care of us, that you see our needs, God. Before we even bring them to you, you see them. God, your word says that you go before us and you go behind us. You're the alpha and the omega. So God, today we commit ourselves to you and we, no matter where we are, God, right now we just declare that you are good. We are thankful for who you are, God. We are thankful that we are the flock under your care. That you see when a sheep goes astray, God, and you see when we go astray, when our lives are going astray. God, we love you so much today. God, I pray that you would help us live lives of gratitude. That when things start to go wrong when all hell's breaking loose in our lives, God. So that's when we get down on our knees and we praise you, God. We worship you. God, let us not be like the Israelites with hard hearts. Let us not miss out on the rest that you can give us today, God. We rely on you, God, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I just wanna sing this the, the pre-chorus and the chorus of this song. This song just declares who God is, that he is holy, that he is mighty, that he is worthy. And I think there's no better thing that we could do on Thanksgiving than to declare declare those things today, to remind ourselves, man, it doesn't matter what's happening. God is good and he's taking care. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way, head to saintschurch.ca and we would love to meet you.